Hey, welcome to the RSP cast. Mark Schofield, Mount Waldman, brought to you by the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. 150 skill positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, bookmark for ease of navigation. Find the most in-depth look at skill position prospects you're going to find. And this is year 17 of the publication. It's fantasy friendly, but it is real football too. So pre-order the 2022 Rookie Scouting Portfolio today. You get the pre-draft and the post-draft. Um, that comes after, you know, a, within a week after the draft, as well as the newsletter. And there's also the projections available for $24.95. And as always, a percentage up to $5,000 is donated to Darkness to Light, um, an organization devoted to preventing sexual abuse of children, as well as teaching, um, you know, adults how to address the issue when it unfortunately does occur um, so it does not cause um, additional damage and trauma to the children um, and you can look them up at d2l.org they are a fine charitable organization um, so i've been given to them since um, i think 2012. so all right so here we go the game of the year easily was the was the chiefs bills game what were your favorite parts of that game, Mark? I mean, honestly, for me, it was Josh Allen. Um, I, I just, you know, interestingly enough, over at USA Today this weekend, I seem to take on the role of writing about the team that lost, like our post-game gamers, so to speak. Like, whether it was Laurie or, or Doug or Barry, they, they started writing about the teams that won. So I wrote about Ryan Tannehill. I wrote about whether this was the end for Brady. And I wrote about Josh Allen. And, you know... The 13 seconds has become sort of the name of this game from a, from a Bills fan's perspective. It's up there with Wide Right and the Music City Miracle, and there's a lot of, you know, and understandably yeah. so, yeah, understandably so, like depression about it. And there are a lot of Bills media members that we know um, that are sort of still in a funk as a result, and again, understandably so. But I look at it as that will wane over time, you know, and when they start – get it together in the spring when the sun starts to come up and stay longer in the sky at the end of the day, the thoughts turn to the next season. That will become a rallying cry of sorts because the 13 seconds was shows just how close the bills are to being perhaps the best team in the league. And I think there's a beauty in that from a bills fans perspective, but I also think their quarterbacks already there. Their quarterbacks already among the greats. Their, their quarterback is somebody that has defied the odds throughout his entire career. I mean, you're talking about a guy that didn't really have offers coming out of high school. You're talking about a guy that people like me said, I'm not so sure about Josh Allen as a first-round quarterback. Like, I don't know if he me can too. fix all the things that he needs to fix. And he's proven so many people wrong along the way. And the way he's done it, by not just the work that we see on the field, but the work we don't see away from the field, the work that he does with Jordan Palmer in the offseason, um, Josh Allen has established himself as one of the game's greats. Um, I, I firmly believe that. And so while, yes, there's a lot to take away from that game in terms of Mahomes and what he did and Travis Kelsey and basically orchestrating their final drive at the end of regulation with, you know, the, the, the initial throw to Tyree kill and how he called to set that up, the adjustment on that little seam route to get them in field goal range about there's also discussions about how the bills played it at the end why didn't they swip get i had people that 
all walks of life, former lawyers and colleagues texted and DMing me like, why didn't they squib kick at the end? Like, why did they kick it deep? Like, what are they doing? My biggest takeaway was Josh Allen um, and how he played that game and how he's evolved as a quarterback and what his evolution as a quarterback. It used to be find the next Tom Brady. It used to be find the next, next Dak Prescott. Now it's find the next Josh Allen. Like, we've, we've skipped over the Mahomes part, partly because he's just one of a kind. And now people are saying, how can we find our next Josh Allen? Do we see a Malik Willis rise to the top of the first round? Because people will look at him and say, well, he can be Josh Allen. Like, like, what's the cascade effect of this, the ripple effect of Josh Allen? And so my favorite part of it for the moment, for the night, for the week, and for the years to come is Josh Allen. So I'm going to take that as the flip side of, of what you just said and and say one of my favorite things as an instigator about this is that I hope to God that they continue to say, what do we find? Where do we find the next Josh Allen? Because you're not going to do it because the odds are against you. If you say we're going to take a rocket arm quarterback who at Wyoming did not move, did not move efficiently or effectively in the pocket as well as he was athletically unbelievable moving in the pocket. He was just God awful at decision-making. He was, he had, he had, it was like seeing someone who had, you had to dig deep and you'd find this little glimmer of light of like moving in the pocket correctly. One play out of maybe 20 and the rest were like complete trash. You looked at someone who did not read the field. Well, who played tons of hero ball who, who, you know, did a lot of things god awful, and but he had the things that the NFL used to look for that had failed so often at at what they tried to get, and he tall, overcame. White, big arm. Yeah, exactly. Tall, white, big arm. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so as a result, he he did to his credit, he did it. You can talk about Dable and Dable's system helped. I mean, the crossing routes and the way that they give him multiple windows across the field where he didn't have to target routes that were just breaking in one direction and then they all had to reset. That was a big help for him. But he's graduated beyond that. He's well beyond that now. And you look at the way that he played that game. I just think that if NFL teams look look for him... And they continue to go, we were right. We were right with that. What they should be doing is you were aw- you were awesome, Josh Allen. But they're not going to do it that way. They're right. gonna they're gonna say, We were right on that. And here we go. We're gonna find we're gonna a lot of teams are gonna be picking the wrong guy, thinking they got another Josh Allen, just like teams picked Drew Locke, you know, and you know, Jordan Love and a bunch of other guys to think they got Patrick Mahomes, you know? So, yeah, yeah. so my... And and I think to your point there, something that I stress all the time, because I get asked this on shows, radio spots, whatever, like, you know, what is it about Josh Allen that other teams can replicate? And I say, yeah, the consistency around him and, you know, the same offensive staff and things like that. You can't replicate Josh Allen no. and his own work ethic. And I, I think in our need, our desire to find an explanation, we're trying to find like external factors that explain the growth and development of Josh Allen. 
And that does a disservice to Josh Allen, the human being. Yes, who, it does. He did the work. He did the work in February, in March, in April, throwing on the beach with Jordan Palmer and all this stuff that he did when the lights weren't on. That's what really created the Josh Allen we're seeing today. And so while we like to find the, you know, the, the explanation, the reason behind it, sometimes the easiest answer is the real answer. It was Josh Allen. Like yeah. he did the work. He deserves the credit. Absolutely. Because a lot of quarterbacks game the system pre-draft. And then you find out that they love playing Xbox to the detriment of their work, or that they come Cast into or they come into camp overweight after they have a good rookie season and look like they've got a flak jacket on. Baker Mayfield, who I yeah. I spent an hour and a half with with Ryan Burn with Jake Burns, and he and I talk about my scouting report and look at Lance Erline's scouting report and talk about. What we agree with now and later, it's going to be a fun episode. I know Browns fans probably aren't going to be like as right. enthusiastic about it now, but it was probably one of the better episodes we did together. And when you look at Allen, um, you, you know you have to you have to give him the credit for being that consistent, not thinking he's figured it out because he had some a decent run at the end of his rookie year, you know, and and really knowing what it meant to work. So, and that's something that a lot of people win on the interview, but they don't win in the real gig. And, and he did both. And so, and I would even say he was a little shaky at times, you know, yeah. pre-draft. So, so yeah. Um, other parts of the game. I mean, listen, Patrick, we, we just take Patrick Mahomes for granted almost at times, you yeah. know, nowadays. It's just crazy. Some of the throws he made were equally insane. I would say, you know, the fade away to, to Byron Pringle, you know, basically fading to his left and throwing to his right um, was an insane play that, you know, I saw you showing Dan Quisenberry and I saw yeah. you liking the tent, Kent Tequilev, um photos of the submarine throws he made, but he played, you saw it all day long. I was posting stuff the next day of like, Shortstop Patrick Mahomes turning to double play. Shortstop right. Patrick Mahomes, you know, reverse pivoting on a liner to third and throwing to first baseman Tyreek Hill, the most unlikely first baseman you'd ever see. But, like, it was to prove my point about this was that what Tom House was saying was that, you know, you want guys who excelled in multiple sports because they can translate different skills, transfer different skills to um, other sports. And that's what Patrick Mahomes is doing with his footwork. And it's proving the point of you can't look at him and go, oh, his footwork was awful. No, it was smooth and it was efficient. And it just was more baseball footwork than it yeah. was football footwork. And sometimes we have to learn to recognize where those things fit. So that was one of my favorite things. I like that, you know, that they had to lean on Byron Pringle and they did in some key moments and he came through because he's been a good player. And if you're not a Chiefs player, if you're not a Chiefs fan, then you wouldn't know that the Chiefs fans have been clamoring for that guy to be on the field more and more all year. And because as Romo said, he's first downs or touchdowns and it's part of yeah. it's the role that he's had. I like that they've used Noah Fant, not Noah Fant, Noah Gray a little bit more. This is kind of a very small thing. But Noah Gray stretched the field and opened things up for Kelsey in some two tight end sets where his speed, I mean, he's a 4-6 um, player for a tight end. That's pretty fast. He he forced 
the safeties and cornerbacks to occupy him and react to him in ways that opened up underneath for Kelsey to do damage. And then, you know, obviously what Kelsey did, you know, at the end of the yeah. game and the fact that he was, you know, directed. And that's part of, like, also being a, a great leader and quarterback is that you can share the leadership role with other players. You know, it's not too, it's not just you all the time. You can allow other players to have their input and you listen to that. When you hear someone have a good idea, you go, do it, do it. You have a good, right. you know, that's good. Yes. Okay. You know, you're listening to that. Um, seeing Mahomes at 13 seconds left looking like, it may, you could say it's false confidence, but we saw Russell Wilson at the end of a half telling Pete Carroll and, you know, against Green Bay, we've, you know, basically, doing the John Elway, we got him where we want him. And you might say, well, Russell Wilson is known for saying the exact right thing at every moment. And, and we don't believe that half of what he's doing is genuine. But I do think he's genuine, cra genuinely crazy in that thought that he can deliver miracles out of nothing. Because most quarterbacks who are great have that kind of attitude. You know, it got it's what got Brett Favre out of a hospital bed way too early after he lost a, half a mile of an intestine and right. played Alabama and took them to the brink, you know, with an undermanned South, you know, Miss, Southern Mississippi team way back in the day. So, you know, I I love seeing these two quarterbacks. I, I was interested, what was interesting to me about the game too was the use of Jarek McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Wasn't one of my favorite things, but I'll say it was, it was interesting to me because it shows me that it shows me that they want to see a guy who runs tough between the tackles, who can break tackles. And Clyde runs tough between the tackles, but he doesn't break tackles. And and I think that McKinnon does a little bit more of that. And it also tells me how teams approach running back play. Well, Andy Reid. Andy Reid's going back to I don't know why, so I'm just going to go with the committee. Like, I don't know why Edwards Hilaire isn't the guy we thought he was. You could, you know, you guys want to give me a call, I can tell you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, he's good. I think Edwards Hilaire is better than people malign him to be, but he was never as good as people pumped him up to be. But, you know, this, this role with him and McKinnon, I think, is where it should have gone in the first place. So, there's a lot more, but... I just want to know where this stacks up to you with great games you've seen. In other words, what are some of the other great games you've seen that have been memorable? Um, you know, I, I think, I mean, other games that come to mind for me, um, Super Bowl 23, Montana versus the Bengals, you know, the drive at the end of that game, um, you know, and an interested sort of juxtaposition. And again, sort of wrote about this. You have Sam Weish on the sideline, the Bengals coach. And after John Taylor scores, he's sort of looking at the scoreboard and just saying 39 oh, no. seconds, 39 seconds. Because yeah. um, they were so close. Um, and then, you know, you have the embrace of him in, in, in Bill Walsh. I mean, his mentor. You know, they're coaching against each other and, you know, talking about how much they loved each other. I mean, I, I that that's a game that stands out. Um, Patriots, Falcons, Patriots, Seahawks, like, those two Super Bowls, obviously, from a somewhat, you know, personal, selfish perspective, like love those games. Um, yeah. Those games, I think, were were fantastic. And I know you're not going to like to hear it, but the drive, the fumble, 
I mean, those, those. No, those were great games. Those were great games, Um, you know, and, and those games will certainly always stick with me. I mean, it it was kind of a little bit before my time, um, but, but people always talk about that divisional between the Dolphins um, and, you there yeah i'm here okay i lost you for a minute you just froze up but uh but you're back now so you were talking about the dolphins the 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 divisional game between who the dolphins and who dolphins and chargers in 82 oh yes yes i was gonna mention that game i watched that game i sat there i remember sitting there watching that game that was an amazing amazing was that 82 or was that earlier i think it was i think it was 82 okay the one that went into multiple that went into overtime and sudden death and with kellen winslow okay yeah Yeah, maybe it was maybe it was that 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 time i don't know i it but i do remember watching it i remember them having to basically carry kellen winslow off the field was a scoring fest. I I was going to mention the fumble. I thought that was the game because the Browns just they they came back in that game. Kozar and Elway were just on fire both in that game. Biner was having the game of his life before yeah. that that moment, and that's why I mean it was he carried that team on his back. It was just a fantastic game. I would say the the one yard short game with the the Titans oh, and the right. Rams yeah. with McNair. And, you know, taking them all the way down to the one, you know, that was an unbelievable game as well because there was the, the Titans came back and they were trading blow for blow and Isaac Bruce with that long touchdown pass and with the whole Warner miracle season, you know, that proved that Warner really wasn't just a miracle in yeah. the sense of just a one-year wonder, you know, down the line. Um, that was a fantastic game. The Giants, Bills, you know why? Right, that's why. Right, yeah. That was another great game that you know that comes to mind. Um, there are some regular season games that were fantastic. I thought last year's Browns um, Ravens game with Lamar Jackson coming off the bench. You know, it was almost like a wrestling match when the guy gets yeah. the when the you know the baby face gets pummeled and he's you know he's bloodied and they send him to the locker room. And then he comes out with like the. The bandage is out, except this time he comes out of the porta potty and inside yep. the inside the bowels of the stadium and comes out to to have the winning walk off score. But you know, there's yeah, I mean, it just it, anytime you see a game like Buffalo Kansas City, it just reminds you how great football can be, and, yep. and that was fantastic. So we're gonna get into a little bit about um, GMs and some of the new directors of player personnel or GMs. That seem to be coming in here. We've got a trio of them. Um, the first one we're going to talk about is Ryan Poles from Ch- going to Chicago. Now, his background, folks, he spent 11 years working his way from a GA at Boston College to a scouting assistant for Kansas City in 2009. And then he earned the roles of college scouting coordinator from 2010 to 2016. And then from 16 to 18, he was the director of college scouting for the Chiefs and the assistant director of player personnel from 2018 to 2021, and then the executive director of player personnel in 21 
till you know he got hired today, yesterday or today um, by the Bears. He's a former left guard for Matt Ryan at Boston College, and he was a three-year starter before he injured his Achilles. What do you think about this hire? What would you, based on what you know about him, even if it's just what I read, what would you expect from Ryan Poles in Chicago? You know, I think he's the more of the, you know, I mean, he and Shane, the guy that the, the Giants hired, are more of the traditional, you know, football guy, football lifer type. I think with his background, what he's done, his own playing career as well, I think in Chicago you're going to see sort of an emphasis on the trenches, at least to start. And I think for Chicago that's kind of needed. I mean, in terms of his skill set and what they need to do, I think re- revamping, fixing their offensive line, you know, building around the pieces they have up front on defense are critical. And so I think you're going to see that out of the gate. You're going to see an emphasis on the front seven on both sides of the ball, figuring out those pieces to the organization and certainly building around Justin Fields. And so from that perspective, I'm excited about what the hire might mean for Fields. Obviously the next piece in Chicago is the coach. And we all know the names are being floated around there and potentially an offensive coordinator, depending on, you know, the direction they go uh, with the head coach and where their experience lies. But you know, that's kind of what I'm expecting. I'm expecting a focus on the trenches and and building sort of front to back, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I can see Ryan Poles going into Chicago and when the McCaskies or whoever it was that interviewed him said, you know, what is it that you're going to bring here? What is it that you think we need? What, you know, and he's going to say, listen, you're one of the early adopters to this new spread offense and the new bells and whistles of, of that has been going on in the NFL in the past five year, five or six years, and it failed for you. And you know why it failed for you is because the people that you brought on forgot to forgot the baseline, the fundamental of what makes great football and what has always that what made great Chicago football back in the day during their hey, heyday in the 80s, which was great trench play. They got it figured out a little bit on defense. You guys always had it figured out on defense, but on offense, you need a great offensive line, and you need to you need to do that. You've got David Montgomery, who is a fantastic running back. He may not be Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb, but he certainly is a guy that's in a tier below that now. You've got Khalil Herbert. If you if yep. if you decide you got to move on from Montgomery, you've got two backs who can get it done. We can find a back for you. You know, your scouts have shown that. Let's get you some offensive linemen in here because now with those backs and Justin Fields, you should be the best running team in the NFL. You should be able to, I mean, the misdirection that you can do, the things that you can do with Fields as a runner, let alone what he can do as a thrower, this team should be ultra dangerous on offense and not, and, where what you're left with right now is veteran players who are not sure they want to play in Chicago because they they see a shit show and yeah. and I can change that you know look at what we did in Kansas City to revamp our offensive line in a year you know we revamped it in a year i mean it went from people doing the same Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers every year is it the end for 
is it the end for this team? You know, right. type of thing at midseason, and and you want to hear them go relax. You know that type of thing because every year in New England you heard it with Tom Brady. They're yep. making their adjustments, and then who's going to be in the thick of it in the end of January? Yep, guess who? And that's the same thing that's happened in Kansas City. They revamped their offense and defense. You know, pretty much within the span of a year, and they had growing pains, but great teams go through that and. When you have a great quarterback who can hold it together, you know, this is what happens. You know, even when they make mistakes, they can hold it together. They don't go into a, you know, they don't go into a valley or have a, you know, a slump to a degree that, that you would think. And, and that's right. the thing. We thought, because what's wrong with Patrick Mahomes? I go, I don't know. He's If you look at just his numbers, they're still some of the best in the league. It's just not he's going wild. Why isn't he going wild? Because he doesn't have the great cast around him. Not yet. They haven't figured it out yet, and now they have. The growing pains are over, and I think you're gonna, see, you know, you see this team in that direction. And I think a guy like Pools can share those experiences and say, "This is how we did it. This is what you're gonna have to go through. This is what you're gonna have to expect, you know." And we will get there, but you just have to have this level of patience, and we'll hire the type of people who can get us there. So, yeah, I'm. Of the play of the people, I'm most excited about Ryan Poles in Chicago. Um, let's just hope that he has the support he needs from ownership, to where he doesn't turn into something that um, that he's not, or become something that he didn't learn right. in his path. And and the fact that he's been in one program this long, the detriment to him is that. The Bears could say, this isn't Kansas City. And then he's like, uh-oh, you know, in the sense that, and when they say that, it's like an excuse for not wanting to change. Um, but the positive of that, too, is I've seen from basically college scouting coordinator through executive director of player personnel, I've spent over a decade watching how this works. Yeah. I've survived Scott Pioli and John Dorsey. I've, I've worked with Andy Reid. I've been there for Eric Berry and the end of Jamal Charles and the beginning of Patrick Mahomes and bringing in, you know, guys like Chris Jones, you know, and Tyreek Hill and what that looks like bringing in a Tyreek Hill, not just guessing, knowing what that looks like. So to me, he's seen so many good situations. I think the Bears, I think the Bears hit a home run. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So, what about Chicago with Sean Payton? Is he a candidate? He's still got three years left on his deal. Um, the Saints would have to get paid for him. Do you think this is kind of one of those deals where Payton's like, yeah, I'm just getting out from under this salary cap mess and don't want to be here anymore. I want to be in a more competitive situation. I don't think he's coming back to coaching right away. Okay. Um, I, I think he's going into the booth for a year or two. Um, you know, I, I think that's where he's going to end up. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, if Amazon, as expected, sort of gets a package here, if they make a run at him um, to put him in the booth to be their sort of Tony Romo to, like, call out offensive plays and things like that pre-snap. So I think more than anything else, he's probably going the broadcast route. Does he come back to coaching eventually? Yeah. I think it would be in Dallas before anywhere else. Um, so, yeah, I think booth for a year or two. And then when Mike McCarthy ends up being the guy on the outs and getting Jerry Jones mad finally, um, that's where Sean Payton ends up. 
Yeah, I would. I I don't have anything more to add. I think that's the perfect answer. Quisi <laughs> Adolfo Bensa, if I said that correctly, will be the Vikings GM. He's a Princeton economics grad, a Stanford master's degree in economics. As my brother would joke, as a public policy PhD at Harvard, economics people are um, their numbers are a little too esoteric. Um, for that master's and stats background that he has that he jokes that they do voodoo with numbers that sometimes is a little too woo woo but right. again princeton economics grad stanford's master's degree that's you know if you've got a harvard guy making a joke about those guys then you know this guy's got an education yeah. and he's got a firm solid basis and understanding um data He's a manager of research and development for the 49ers for three to four years and a VP of operations for the Browns. And before this, he was a commodities trader and a portfolio manager. So Andrew Barry, what he said was, listen, Adolfo Mensa is super bright. He has people skills and he was successful at developing analytical insights and getting people to buy into them. And that means that he had to talk to scouts and maybe old school NFL managers who didn't understand this stuff or they hired the right people who did and he could communicate the things they needed to do. We're about to find out in, in Minnesota what's going on here. What does all this indicate to you? I mean, it does indicate that there is a continued trend towards sort of outside the box thinking when you're thinking about the traditional football approach to problem solving. This is a, a, somebody that's going to take a different view and have a different worldview and, and set of experiences to apply to making decisions. And in reading some of the stuff that he's talked about, some of the quotes that he's had about the game, he, he just talks about how his entire life, you know, first his, obviously his career as a commodities trader and now in the National Football League, it's all about coming up with decision-making when there's a lot of uncertainty around it. And that's the game. You know, yeah. that's the game from a roster construction standpoint. That's the game from a snap to snap standpoint. You're you're faced with a problem. Sometimes you expect them, sometimes you don't. How do you solve it? You know, how do you fit Kirk Cousins in under the cap situation and put a roster around him? How do you throw the dagger concept against cover two when you were expecting cover one? Like you're trying to solve problems. And so this is the one I'm most excited about. This is the one I'm most excited about because I'm very curious to see how it goes. I'm very curious to see the staff he puts in around him. Curious now to see, obviously, the, the head coach hire, what direction that goes. I think it's a very interesting approach, and he's certainly brilliant, and I'm excited to see how this plays out in Minnesota. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun one because he certainly has the tools for this team to be a contender um, pretty yeah. quickly. Um, the, the thing that's most fascinating to me is, when I hear someone say super bright with people skills and he was successful at developing analytical insights and getting people to buy in, he's obviously a communicator and he communicates his vision very well. But like Patrick Mahomes on the field, is he a listener? Is he a listener and someone who, because I know some people who are quite, you know, we know, we all know people who are quite brilliant, but don't listen. Um, and so they communicate their vision and they impose their worldview on things, but can they incorporate other ideas into the worldview? Because if he's all about reinventing the wheel, we've seen that fail from the standpoint of we're not listening to, we're not 
we're not being we're either not listening or we're not listening to the right things and identifying the nuggets of wisdom from other people around you right. to to incorporate into what you're doing and so we're gonna it's gonna be interesting to see if Adolfo Mensa can be that guy I have a feeling he can be um, it's not based on anything substantive enough to tell you why um, but I have a feeling that he can be um, and and so I'm interested in seeing how this is going to go as well last one is Joel Schoen he's the GM of the, you know um, he and he was of the Giants and he was the assistant GM in Buffalo he began in 2000 as an intern in Carolina and worked with per, in personnel with the in the with the Panthers alongside Brandon Bean of the Bears and yep. then he was with the Dolphins and Bills. And the thing that's interesting to me about that is that Bill Parcells gave Schoen his first director of player personnel gig. So you see the Giants connection right there. Um, you also see that if Bill Parcells gave Schoen that, that's a little stamp of approval just in terms of if you respect Bill yeah. Parcells. And if you don't respect Bill Parcells um, in football, then you really need to go back and learn a little bit more football. Um and, you know, he's one of the absolute greatest coaches that has ever played the game, um, been part of the game. Um, and he was, you know, this is a guy that is known for analytics, personnel, and football operations. And he's known pretty much as a relentless worker. Um, so what he came out already and said, you know, if you want to see the best of Daniel Jones, he's need, he needs to be on his feet. If you want to see... The best of Saquon Barkley, we need to open holes for him. So he, too, has identified the offensive line. Pretty low-hanging fruit for most teams that are bad, as we can see. Um, but what are your thoughts on Sean here? Yeah, I mean, they, they largely mirror the thoughts on polls. I mean, I, I think with the comments already, there's going to be an emphasis on the offensive line. And with the Giants in their situation, I think there has to be. I, I think the idea that he's going to build around Jones, he's already said that that's what they're going to do. That's the approach you're going to take. I think for the giants, it's the right one, you know, having spent a couple of years now covering Daniel Jones on a weekly basis. And, you know, so sort of having a toe in the New York giants media landscape and those waters. I know there are some that believe it's time to sort of move on from Jones. Look around you. I mean, what are the options? What are the replacement options for Daniel Jones, at least for next season? Now the way I always reference it, Jones is the week one starter. Is he the week eight starter? That might be the, the the tougher question. You know, does he keep the job? He can start with it, but does he keep it? So, you know, maybe they do draft a quarterback, say, later in the draft, second round or something like that. Um, but I, I think, look, the Parcells stamp of approval carries a ton of weight, and he has that. And so I will say – Cole showed up to work when it was still dark out this morning. You know, Shane got there when the when the sun was up. So in terms of who's going to outwork the other, it seems like the clubhouse leader is the guy in Chicago. And I, I do find it funny that these teams are now posting get-to-work hype videos uh, on social media. I mean, that's we saw it with Dan Campbell last year when he was walking into the building with a latte and giving the fist pump. We've seen it with these two general managers. I'm, I'm sure we'll see one from Minnesota coming out shortly. And we'll see this, you know, with the head coach and hirings as well. But it, it, Shane saying that, look, no, no, I'm going to do all the work. You already got beat to the office. 
by the guy in Chicago. So you got some catching up to do on day one. Well, that's kind of like Chicagoans versus New Yorkians and or you know, right. New Yorkers at this point. You know, that's kind of you know you kind of see that relationship going on. New York's gets all the gets all the uh, gets all the hype, and Chicago's like whatever. So, right. um, but uh, I'll say this about Sean and the rest of these guys. I like the fact that Sean has already played the media well because the you know the media is a reactive entity and they're a judgmental entity in the same way that like in politics we pay attention to the president talking about what he's going to do he's going to create policy here's all the policy he's going to create when the president doesn't create policy he's he actually signs off on the policies that are created or vetoes the policies that are created. Right. And and does he try to influence policy? Absolutely. You know, but he's hired by a figurehead, you know, in, in our in our society, basically by a bunch of um, lobbyists for big corporations, depending on which side they give the most money to. You know, right. but anyway, you look at this and I think fans expect the same thing. They want to hear what what then the media same thing what offense are they going to bring in what kind of defense are they going to have what i'm more interested in the people that they bring in or the people that they emphasize or the decisions or the types of things that they want to emphasize in terms of who they're going to work with because if you just if they don't know how to hire if they don't know how to cultivate the culture that they need then i could care less about the direction they're going because you can get in the middle of the ocean with a boat and say I'm going, you know, I'm sailing across the Pacific and you're going to sail around in circles until the tides wash you away because you don't know how to operate a sail or a compass. So, I mean, it's it's all of that for me. But Sean already showed, listen, he knows he knows Daniel Jones is probably a sitting duck, you know, a lame duck, you know, but he also knows, he already knows that this draft class doesn't have quarterbacks that are, you know, high and plentiful. He yeah. knows that, so he can't say, "Well, we're just going to have to go a year without a great quarterback and basically um, not give Daniel Jones any chance of improving unless he's playing the psychology game somehow." That's uh, where he knows. Like to me, like if I were playing psychology with Baker Mayfield, I'd say I'd sit Baker Mayfield down and go, "Listen, man, you um, you've made it this far because you've had a chip on your shoulder and proved everyone that you couldn't do it." But you're still playing like you're proving that you can't do it instead of playing like you know you can. You're trying to prove to people now that you're Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know what they do that's most important than anything? It's not what they do on the field. It's how they yeah. approach the game. And 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 whether they're those guys or Matt Ryan, I bet you, man, I bet you can't even do what Matt Ryan does, which is these works on your game and does these things and do that. Can you just be the consummate professional? I know you care about the game, but can you work on it the way, reach out to other people and not just be this contrarian rebel without a cause? I bet you can't do that. If Bill Parcells had him, he would get the best out of Baker Mayfield because he would know that and he would say that and Baker Mayfield would be like, okay, I'll show you that I can be an unbelievable professional and forget about trying to compare myself to the best in the game. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna show you that I can do this basic thing. He don't even think I can do that. That's easy. And next thing you know, he's gonna turn around and go, "Holy cow! I see what you did." And I yeah. think that that's where I think Joel Schoen might have a little bit of that in him 
in his ability to understand that he needs Daniel Jones right now for them to even have a shot at being a competitive team because they have nobody else and they need to, you know, they need to keep his morale up until they find that opportunity. But I think everyone who has watched football enough knows that, that this is just a matter of resource scarcity. Um, so, all right, Tom Brady, you've covered him for years. What was, is this Brady's last game? And what's the most valuable thing you've learned from watching his career or what you've learned from watching his game that you would apply to scouting players? I do think this was his last game. Um, it's interesting. Watching Brady over the years, one of the things that people always point out is when he, that he's not a good loser. You know, when he loses a game, he's gone. Like, it's, it's rare to see him. Like, he goes behind the scenes. Like, he might, you know, visit the other locker room or something like that. But for the most part, game over, he's out of there. That wasn't this Sunday. Like, he hung around on the field. You know, he was chatting with Eric Weddle for a while. Um, then he was chatting with Odell. And he had this this smile on his face that was like the smile of somebody that's like, yeah, you know, job's done. Like, maybe this isn't the way I ideally wanted to go out. But... I was down 23, 27 to three. And we tied this thing up. Like, you know, up against that defense on a day, we certainly didn't have it as a team on a day where maybe I didn't play as well as I could have at the start, but in the end, I gave us a chance to win and it didn't happen, but I think this is it. And it was also interested to see the family and Giselle there because I didn't think they traveled. Maybe I missed it, but I didn't think they traveled to a lot of games this year. And I don't think they were at the wild card game. There was a sense of finality to that. And maybe I'm wrong. Um, you know, I, I will say that I, I said when he, after they lost to the Titans, the Patriots a couple of years ago, the next day I was on the radio saying he's going to go to Tampa Bay. And that's where he ended up. When he finally signed with Tampa Bay, I wrote, he's going to win a Super Bowl, And they did. Like I have this weird sort of insight into Brady. And maybe it's the fact we're the same age or haven't watched him for years or whatever. I think this was it. I, I think this was his last game. And again, maybe I'm wrong. No, I, in terms of in, in terms of like what I've sort of learned from watching Brady, it's just similar to the decision making and problem solving the things we were talking about. There's still multiple ways to solve the problems that opposing quarterback that quarterbacks face because of opposing defenses. The more ways you can solve that problem, those problems, the better you're going to be. Now for Brady. He had a good arm. wasn't great, but he got better at it. He was not a great athlete, but he was athletic enough. And he was athletic enough within the confines of the pocket to qualify as, like, I think if you look at pocket mobility as a subset of athleticism, he's elite. He's an elite athlete in that subset of athleticism. Um, and then the decision-making, the anticipation, and all the other boxes that you know he checks. Like, he's got multiple pathways to solve the problems with defenses put in front of him. It's not just he has a cannon of an arm, and that's the only thing he can do, which sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's not just that he's a super athlete and that's all that he can do, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. He puts it all together. And so I think that's the the path multiple pathway approach is kind of my biggest lesson from, from studying Brady for all, all of this time, really. Yeah, for me, it's related to that. It's compensatory factors. He's another example of a player that when you scout a player – you have so many different aspects of their game that you're looking at. You're breaking it down into compartments. And 
what I've found is that in order for you to maintain some level of equilibrium and tying all those compartments together, because you're looking at an entire person, you can't just look at the individual layers and not tie it together. But it's very hard to do that. One of the ways to conceptualize that is compensatory factors. If a player falls below a baseline in one area or they're at the, the bottom end of the baseline, then they need to be higher end at another to be in a specific tier. You know, like Steve Smith, Steve Smith was short, but yep. he was lightning fast and could leap and was strong. So you knew that that made up for the fact that he could play outside, even though he, he might not look like an outside receiver. Um, you, you know, you look at Tom Brady, it's the same thing. He had, he didn't have the greatest arm, but he had a good enough arm, but he had elite pocket traits, you know? And when you, he moves, he is the, he is the gold standard for moving around in the pocket. Just, yeah. you know, it's, it's graceful. It's like a bo guy who understood boxing, who took, you know, who studied boxing a little bit and moves like that. He, he has that ring man, ring general's demeanor about how to use the ring, how to use the pocket. They're not that different, a ring in a pocket, right. you know? So I, if, if you ask me, you know, if you're a running back or a quarterback, I would, I would study boxing. I would have my kid, you know, if you were to build one and be the, you know, to be the good version of, of, um, you know, or a, a, a functional version of Todd Marinovich's dad, you know, you would, you would get them to box. You would get yep. them to learn their footwork in the boxing ring and to get that feel because one, you get hit. Even if you give them headgear, you get hit, you get used to getting hit. You get used to moving while while someone's trying to hit you, right? And you get that feel that that and being I guess being a shortstop or a third baseman would be the, you know, those would be two other areas I'd look at in sport that translate. And it's again, it's talking about how sports translate. That's another thing with Brady because he did study boxing and got enough yep. out of that. You can see. So there's that, and again, there's that that arrogance that you need to have. On yeah. a certain level, the fact that you go up to the owner of the Patriots as a six-round pick and say, "I'm the best decision you've ever made," you know, before you've ever even took the field, right? You know, that's that to me. You need to have a little bit of that. You know, now people make fun of it when players do it and it doesn't work out, but you know, they you have to have a little bit of that arrogance. So, um, NFLPA is coming up. Um, that game's coming up. A lot of these players are guys who are trying to get drafted or become priority free agents. Um, who are some of the guys that you think could slide into the draft this year based on their performance um, on tape as well as what you what we may see in the NFLPA game? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I, we're gonna be talking about. Um you know, college games over the next couple of weeks and these next few questions. And I'm really going to focus on quarterbacks because I, when we get to these levels of games, I'm not as in deep right now sure. at other positions. It's really just quarterback. Uh, so Akil Glass um, from the NFLPA game, the, the, Florida, the Alabama A&M quarterback, um, he's somebody that I thought at the start of the year, there was some buzz around him that 
you might see a shrine game invite. You might see a senior bowl kind of invite for him. Um, it didn't quite pan out that way. And I think obviously, with, at least with respect to the senior bowl, when you get guys like Pickett and Howell and Ritter and really Willis, like the top guys that are going to be at the top of many draft boards going to the senior bowl, it's really bumped everybody down a bit. And now the senior bowl, I think they're just taking the six quarterbacks. So there's also that to it as well. Um, throws well, um, moves well. Um, he's an upright runner, which I don't like about him. Like he, as a quarterback, we've talked about this. You've got to protect yourself. And he's got this like upright rutted style. He's running like a, a two by four moving down the field that that's great on Saturdays, but you do that against a defense, like say the San Francisco 49ers and Fred Warner is going to destroy you. Like he, he's, that worries me a little bit. Um, a little bit of a push to his throw in motion. Like I'd like to see it be a bit more fluid. I don't think again, it, it's something bad, but in this quarterback class, the guys that might be at these games, this or shrine, which we'll talk about in a minute, they get a shot at sneaking into the late rounds of the draft. I mean, because it's just, it's just a strange quarterback class to begin with. And so he's somebody that I think with a good week, a good performance could get himself into the late day three mix. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, Corey Sutton is a wide receiver out of App State who's played for a while. He's had an injury, and so I actually profiled him in a past RSP, thinking that he had basically had to declare. I think it was a couple years ago, and he's still here. Um, so I'm gonna post him again in my in the 2022 rookie But he's got he's a sizable receiver, over six feet, over 210 pounds. He has some leaping ability. He can go up and win the ball. Um, he has good hand-eye coordination. I thought he had some strength in terms of after the catch to break tackles. He's a guy I'm interested in seeing more of his tape now that there's more college tape of him. Um, Greg Bell out of San Diego State. This is a guy that got a little bit of buzz. He's um, he's a decent cutback runner um, and someone that I think has enough speed to contribute in the NFL. Um, I want to see a little bit more with his contact balance. But I think that there's some skill there for him to make a roster. Max Borhe is a guy who was highly recruited, went to Washington State. He can catch. I think he's got some decent burst to him. There's plays that I'd like to see him do a little bit more with um, setting up creases. He can catch the football, like I said. So he's going to get some play as a special teamer, as a scat back possibly. Um I think there's some potential there maybe for him to compete for a roster spot and and maybe add to his game from there. And a guy I haven't watched yet, but he's going to be on my list, is Michael Cooper out of Navy. Navy receivers tend to have some have some um, love from certain coaches who, yep. and their special teams ability. Now, yep. Michael Cooper is 6'5", 221. So when you see a wide receiver who's 6'5", 221, and he's making big plays for the midshipmen um, in an offense that doesn't really throw the ball down the field, you know, to the extent that you would expect. That's notable that he makes some big plays. So I want to see the story behind Michael Cooper and see how that goes. So those are some of mine. What about the Shrine game? It's February 3rd. Our buddy Eric Galco, he's done a yep. nice job of yep. fielding rosters. Um, and I'm excited about seeing what's going on with this game. Um, for the first time in a while. So what are, who are some of the players, you know, that you're looking at that you would like to, that you think are notable? Yeah. I mean, 
When it comes to the Shrine, and I think you're right, like Yako's done a really good job with this sort of revamp in the Shrine game, and now it's out in Vegas, and you know, in a, in a in a sense, it's sort of competed even more now with the Senior Bowl, which I think is interesting because um, they're setting up on the same week. I don't know if that's going to continue or not, but it's been fascinating to see how he's built this. Um, a guy that I'm really interested in is is Dustin Crum. Uh, I know you've liked him. I've liked him for a while now, and. You know, I, I think there are some things that he does really well. I think he throws a really nice ball. I think he's somebody that, again, if he puts together a good week, he's kind of like, you know, he doesn't have the same arm, but I get sort of a Carson Strawn light vibe from him, where if you like Carson Strawn, who if his knee sort of checks out from a medical standpoint, and there's reason to believe Jordan Palmer talked about it this week with, you know, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino on their show, that you know, he was given the opportunity to have it sort of cleaned up and missed the season. He said, no, I want to go play um, that the knee's going to be okay. And so Strahd might be good from that perspective. If you like him, but you miss out on him, Crum could be a guy that you look to say on day two or day three and kind of like what you see. So he's the guy I'm most, again, focusing on quarterbacks. He's the guy I'm most excited to see. Cool. Um, Some guys that come to mind for me. I mean, I like the Eric King. I don't think that, I'm not in love with him. I like him as a late round guy that you can do some things with, but it's kind of a Seneca Wallace vibe and maybe yeah. not even that strong um, in terms of what you're looking for. He's on the short end of the stick. Um, but there's some things about him that intrigue me. Um, other guys, Javon Hiley, the wide receiver out of Coastal Carolina. This dude is automatic with boundary routes. He is a very good boundary route receiver. And he tracks the ball extremely well, uses the correct hand position, which a lot of top receivers still don't even do, with targets that oftentimes create some conflict. Charleston Rambo is an interesting player to me. Um, I don't think I think the reason he probably didn't find his way in Oklahoma is that I don't think he has top end speed. I think he's yeah. fast enough, but he he's kind of an Alan Hearns like player. He can get downfield. He can make some tough catches. Um, and he's a good route runner, but he just may not be fast, but he can have a place. So I like him. Um, you know, another, you know, a couple other guys, Pierre Strong's, um, intriguing to me, but he's a guy that, um, kind of reminds me of a former South Dakota state guy. I think it was South Dakota state, which is Lamar Gordon. If you remember him back with the Rams, he's got yep. some speed. He has some cutback ability. Um, his game's a little bit on the raw end. Um, Xander Horvath is just fun to watch, a fullback. Um, we'll see if a, he can find a team that has a good fit for him. Um, I think Zaquandre White wound up at the Senior Bowl. So yeah. he's on the list right now on the roster, but that's not really his his deal. Um, let me add a couple more names to this list from the other roster. I'm going to look at the, at the West roster here real quick. Um, and, you know, from this one, Jareth Stearns out of Western Kentucky is a pretty good pass catcher um, who runs some decent routes. He's a guy that I think could get in, um, get some opportunity. Ty Chandler has played at some big programs and um, he can, he's kind of an all around back. He can give you a little bit of that Austin Eckler type of vibe to him. But the player I'm probably most excited about, who I think is just very underrated in this draft, 
is Keontae Ingram, the former Texas running back who was with uh-huh. USC. Ingram yeah. had a strong year this year at USC, a program that struggled. Um, but he can catch. He can run between the tackles. He has the size you're looking for. He has decent enough burst. He's one of those guys that um, the only reason I think he left Texas is Bijan Robinson. Yep. And he was like, I've got to get out of here if I want any shot of getting drafted because he was a top prospect himself and he played well at Texas. You know, so I think this is a guy that he's going to be a sleeper um, on draft day that like gets picked in the sixth, seventh round and has a strong camp, makes a roster and finds his way onto a field at some point. Um, So, you know, he's one of those Spencer Ware, Malcolm Brown, um, maybe even more than that types, you know. So I've got a little more to watch of him, but I, I already can tell you he's at least that. Um, all right, so who are some of the underrated who, – well, who are, who are some of the Shrine players that you think have the most to gain or maybe – well, I won't ask you that question because you've been looking at quarterbacks. So let's, let's talk about underrated prospects. Who are some of the most underrated prospects in this draft class based on what you think the perception of the players are? Certainly Ingram is one of mine. Um, Ritter. I think the Cincinnati quarterback. Yeah. I, it's weird. I think the perception is going to turn on him over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I think Desmond Ritter is going to catch a little bit more buzz and attention as we get through the senior bowl and into the sort of combine pre-draft portion um, of, of the proceedings here, because I still have reservations on him from an accuracy standpoint. I, I think there are throws that, he needs to make with more consistency. There are, you know, passes that he makes to bit me needs to make with better placement. But from what I've seen, and again, I've watched pretty much his entire his entire senior year here. I've seen growth, I've seen development, I've seen a lot from a mental perspective that I really like. I know that the accuracy profile is going to turn some people off, but I feel like there's this idea that it's picket that it's Willis, that it's Howells now back in the mix. And Ritter, as he did last year, sort of flying under the radar. And I was talking to people last year that thought, oh, yeah, I mean, he's probably your your first quarterback off the board on day two and probably some point in the second round. And he decides to go back to school. I, I, I think the perception is going to turn on him over the next couple of weeks. Like it. I'm going to give you two guys who are pretty much off most radars, I'm pretty sure. One is Johnny Johnson, the Oregon wide receiver, um, who I think this guy is a lot better than people think. Um, he's a six foot, 198 pound guy who was used a lot as a kind of an underneath receiver after the catch. Um, but when they threw him the ball in vertical routes, this guy can adjust to the ball like a high end receiver. I mean, like he makes some, he has some pretty incredible hand-eye coordination and can make some very difficult catches. Um, I, I like what I've seen from him. I don't necessarily think he's like going to take the league by storm by any stretch of the imagination. But in the same way that Austin Collie was a guy that people were like, or Cooper Cup, 
that people didn't really talk a ton about, but were but turned out much better and turned out to be pretty darn good. I think Johnny Johnson might be on that spectrum. Um, wow. I, I like him. I'm going to watch a little more. Right now, I don't have him as a starter grade or anything like that, but I have him close enough to a starter or a contributor grade that um, I see some potential there. Reggie Roberson adjusts well to the ball. I think he's got some real makings of becoming a good route runner, um, former SMU player. Those are two guys right there. And then I'm going to give you a tight end who's kind of off the radar, who as an H-back, I just really like. And that's the 6'2", 224-pound Memphis tight end, Sean Dykes, who might be considered a fullback. But mm-hmm. The guy adjusts well to the ball. He's a technically sound blocker. Um, he's football smart. He understands situational football. He has just a good conceptual feel of space and understanding of how to process information. And I think that if you were just to, you can't judge tight end by weight and say without weight. You've got to have, they've got to have a baseline of, they got to be in that, if they're not, if they're, they got to be at least 240 and be an unbelievable athlete. They've got to be right. a 240 pound wide receiver who could start at wide receiver 240, or they have to be at least 255, 250, 255, and have meat on their, have the bone structure to grow to 260, 265, and still have athletic ability to put them in the conversation. I had them listed at 224. Um, so if you could divorce weight from the equation, and say, if weight didn't matter, Sean Dykes would be one of my top three tight ends in this class. Wow! But he's but you can't divorce weight. Um, yeah. So I I'm interested to see whether he can add weight and and he's six two as well, so he's kind of on the shorter side. But what kind of role could a team have for him? He's a guy that he's not you know fantasy people listening to this. Don't worry about him. Don't get don't get crazy about him. And don't get overreactive. I'm just talking about pure football. This dude's yeah. a football player. I, it's going to be interesting to see what he has a role. And I like Cole Turner. I think he's, I don't know if he's on overrate, underrated, but he's an interesting guy to me. Um, I think that there's a lot of skill there for his tracking. Great length, great adjusting to the ball. I think that he has room to add weight and become a good tight end in the league. So those are four players I think I mentioned that we have in that note. So with that in mind, um, anything else? I don't have any off the rails kind of topics today, but if you do, I'm game. What I know you do a, a good portion of the cooking. What is something that you're either making for dinner tonight or, or some point this week that you're really excited to put together? That's a good question. Um, well, I just made something last night that I'm about to have after this podcast is my meal for the day. And it's a, um, it was a red lentil um, garbanzo bean stew with kale. um, That's kind of like a a curry, like a curry stew um, that turned out pretty good. So I was excited about that. I'm actually kind of interested in making, it's not all that glamorous because my wife who I've, um, who I've I've basically recruited into doing this um, our our little dietary food experiment because she likes my cooking, but she's an inveterate meat eater. And let's just say that my my wife has gone one too too many trips to the ranch lately, 
right. and has decided and has decided that she needs to lay off the red meat for a little while. Um, so we, um, I'm telling her, I said, I said we're going to do vegan for eight weeks. Um, yeah. and I'll, and she's, and I've always cooked that a lot of that way anyway, though I, I can cook some meat. I just don't do it very often. Um, but, uh, I guess I'm looking forward to a carrot and ginger soup that I want to wow. make. And recently what I did make that I liked was, I guess what would qualify is I made an Alfredo. I made an Alfredo with, cashew, cr with cashew cream. Yeah, um, I saw that on Instagram. And it was, and it turned out very good. Um, it has that kind of, my wife, um, my wife told me she couldn't have, and she's not a, she's not the, the frou-frou, foo-foo kind of vegan kind of, person trust me she's a meat and potatoes and cheese person and uh she was like i couldn't tell the difference you could serve this to somebody and wow. you, and they would think you put some kind of cheese on it it was it was good and so um it had the thickness and the consistency you look for and as a leftover it was heavy because it's it's cashew nuts so you get the weight of it but you don't get that insulin reaction that you get the cheese that puts you to sleep and you get you know, right. that, that some people can get when that happens. Um, so yeah, I was, I was pretty pleased with that and it's very easy to make. So yeah, for me, that was me. How about you? Um, tomorrow, although the process starts today, I'm doing, uh, a Japanese katsu, uh, ah. with the, the thin, you know, panko breaded pork cutlets with the, the, you know, the sauce that you make is basically just ketchup and Worcestershire and soy sauce sort of mixed together. But to go with that, um, I make I, I, I like making rice dishes. Um, earlier this week, we had taco night on Monday night, but I did the like Mexican baked rice where you like you blend um, tomatoes and onions together. You fry the rice for a bit. Then you put in some some minced jalapeno and some garlic in. Fry, fry that for like 30 seconds until it's fragrant then you pour in the blended tomatoes and onions in mix it together then you throw it in the oven for like 40 minutes and there nice. you go you get your mexican rice that way but i also make fried rice and so that process begins today where you're going to make the white rice and then cool it overnight because if you don't it doesn't turn out right, right. And so it doesn't get that sticky consistency yeah it doesn't get that sickness and then you know you get you know you get the scallions you got I always put eggs in there and it's all done in sesame oil. It's all done in sesame Love oil. It. You don't do it in like olive oil or vegetable oil. Yeah. It's done in sesame oil. So you get the fried rice to go with that. So that's going to be for tomorrow. But like I said, we're going to get done here. I'm just going to go make some white, white, white rice to get that ready for tomorrow. Yeah. I, I love, I love stir fries and my walk is nice and seasoned. It is a, is a finely tuned black. This is yeah. a, <laughs> this is a, um, Good time to plug the America's Test Kitchen International Cookbook. It's like my favorite cookbook ever because it has recipes from like Mexico and Latin America, England and the British Isles, Germany, Russia, Italy, France, Korea, India, China. It's an incredible cookbook. I got it for a gift maybe 12, 15 years ago. Nice. And it's completely like, you know, it's a hardcover book but like the spines ripping off it's got stains everywhere that is one of my favorites as well as la rose gastronique which is more of a a cooking encyclopedia which is like 
you know, 1500 pages of stuff, but America's test kitchen international cookbook. I love it. Cause you, you can find recipes for like tiramisu or, you know, shepherd's pie or, you know, they've got a bunch of Chinese stir fries in there that are really good. Uh, Chinese barbecue pork in there. It's a fun, fun cookbook. If you want to like learn some different cooking techniques, like I've used that to make my own paneer, um, for perlier, uh, in, from when we do Indian stuff, it's a really cool, cool cookbook. Very, very cool. Yeah, I'll I'll recommend one as well, just because it's um, you know, I've been seeing if I'll just recommend a video um channel, which is a YouTube channel, which is um, Rainbow Plant Life, which is vegan cooking at home with Nisha Vora, who um she does some really great videos on how to like do meal prep or why meal prep doesn't work. But how to make dishes that are fantastic, and and it's that's a fun video because she's like a, I think a Harvard law student, a former Harvard law student or something of that nature, a former lawyer, and I, I gravitate to former lawyers. It, is, it seems with with Mark <laughs> and Bloom, um, and so she's a former lawyer who who has started this channel, and her parents just think of like the you know immigrant parents. You know, and if you yeah. grew up, I grew up with immigrant grandparents. So if you have immigrant parents and she's always testing her food out on her parents. And so this, they're hilarious, you know, and so they some a lot of times she's making Indian food, but she makes a lot of different types of vegan food. That's just fantastic. Shepherd's pie, versions of shepherd's pie and lasagna and things like that. And she's got a great cookbook out. She used it with an Instapot. So if you don't like oh. to cook a ton, you can get an Instapot and do it. I use her recipes. I bought her book and use her recipes with just traditional cookware, and they work great. Um, you know, I just have to do a little bit of thinking about what I'm going to do, you know, but it's not that if you cook at all, it's not that difficult. If you don't, the Instapot makes it easy. So nice. you can do a lot of her, her stuff in Instapot, but her site, Rainbow Plant Life, is great. Even if you're just planning on, you know, eating a couple of meals a week where you don't eat meat. She she does some great things. And she talks about her transition to to these types of meal plans in a way where it's not that, you know, it's not the stereotypical thing that you would that you joke about that like Joe Rogan would make fun of vegans about, you know, that's right. vegans and his comedy routines, you know. So it's, you know, I would say that's a very good one. And I would just say, you know, it's funny the things that you cook, Mark, like, there's things that you just like to do. Like for me, it's like roasting vegetables. Like yeah. to me, like roasted garlic is to me is like candy. I don't yeah. know. Like I could, I could eat. How do you do? Day. How do you roast garlic? How do What's I roast it? I do it two different ways. I either, you know, I either put it in some oil and I put it in a, I put it in a, in the oven and roast it. Oh, you know, at a high heat, or I take a skillet and I, and I, and I've been doing this lately because I just didn't have the time. I just take a skillet. I blacken the outside of it. Don't cut anything up. Just put oil on it. Blacken it on all sides along with a pepper. Put it in a paper bag and just let it sit for about 25, 30 minutes. And that stuff just pops out. Yeah. You know, how about you? We do a lot of those like meal kits like Home Chef or, you know, Green Chef, whatever, uh, Blue Apron. And you... There have been some interesting, like, technical things that I've learned through them. Yeah. And one of them is, like, you know, you peel the garlic and you put it on a little foil, 
with some oil and you fold it into like a tent and you throw it into the oven at like 350 and let it sort of roast in there. Huh. Okay. And then you take it out and it's like, it like, it just like melts almost. Wow. But like, that's one that I've, that's one little technique that I've learned that I've actually really liked. That's fantastic. I've never, I've never even considered that one. I, the, and the, the blackening one and putting it in a, putting it in a, in a, um, paper bag the only I, I i just figured that out this weekend only because i that's what i do with peppers so yeah. i was like well it's got to work for garlic so let's give it a right. shot and it did so it was like whatever and i'm sure that lots of people do it that way i just was one of those dumbasses who like had to figure that out for myself so right. you know <laughs> that's how it goes but you know hopefully we we've helped you figure some things out for yourself um and hopefully one of those things that you figured out is that you like listening to us and uh so you can follow you know follow us at the rsp cast on matt woman's rsp cast um on itunes and 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 pretty much everywhere that you look for a podcast um you can find mark schofield at td wire um he does fantastic work there and on youtube he's got his own channel um and you definitely want to check out all the work that mark does um nfl and college football we'll certainly get to watching some quarterbacks together as the draft yep. nears i've got i'm about rounding second base with the wide receivers in terms of and gonna head on to quarterbacks and tight ends um in february to get my second and third looks at those guys and first looks at some of the guys who are on the fringes um so i'm certainly certain we'll be getting in touch at that point and as always thanks again for listening we you know we love the interactions that you guys have with us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, thanks to Mark and you guys have a fantastic, fantastic week.